0: Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Mindset. I'm your host, Yolanda Gonzalez, former administrative fellow and current administrative director at Mass General Hospital, located in Boston, Massachusetts. I invite you to join me as I engage with leaders in various roles across the healthcare field to gain real life insights into their work challenges, the skills that have helped them succeed, and advice on how to get started if this is a path for you. So what are you waiting for? Let's start the journey today. I'm so excited to be with today's guest, Elizabeth Fonseca, who is a program director for population health management at Massachusetts General Hospital and the Massachusetts General Physicians Organization, located in Boston, Massachusetts. In this capacity, she directs a portfolio of programs focused on redesigning care to increase value. Elizabeth leads a team of project managers and care navigators in implementing a suite of programs across the care continuum, spanning the primary care, specialty care, post-acute care and home-based care settings, as well as the transitions in between those care settings. Elizabeth manages Mass General's 10-year population health management strategy and ensures each clinical department has a population health management plan tailored to their specialty. In addition, Elizabeth co-chairs the Care Continuum Steering Committee with the vision to optimize the experience and processes of care across the continuum that reflects what matters most to patients and caregivers and aligns and bridges efforts across care settings with a special focus on access to care for our most vulnerable population. Elizabeth holds a Master of Science in Global Health and Population from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology Honors from Boston College. So, Elizabeth, you come with quite an experience and resume. I'm so excited to have you on today's episode. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and why were you initially drawn to the healthcare field?
1: Sure. Um, I I didn't initially seek out a career in healthcare, um, but ever since I could remember, I always kind of spent my free time serving and volunteering and Human services. Um, I studied psychology. I was kind of fascinated by human interaction, human behavior. And I really love the mix of the hard science and the social science to really understand and influence human behavior. So, um, as I kind of got more experience studied and different things, I always found myself drawn to really complex challenges. Um, and at the time in, in healthcare and, and public health, I spent a lot of time um, working on advocacy for HIV AIDS medication Um, and it was a huge challenge, but it was one that was solvable and affected millions of people. So, um, you know, through some volunteer experiences, some advocacy experience, some studies, I I just found myself always drawn to these kind of, these kind of challenges and these kind of experiences. Um, And when I got out of school, I tried a bunch of different things, but I ended up um, in public health um, and, once I kind of found my home there, it's kind of been, um, you know, the rest is history. I've, I've been almost 20 years in, in the healthcare field. And um, the thread through all has kind of been uh, healthcare delivery systems and how we can make kind of larger scale changes to our system to
0: improve human lives.
1: Hmm.
0: And I like that you said that your experience came from volunteering too. I think a lot of times hmm. we think that we kind of have to Get a job, which is important, oh, yeah. but I think volunteering allows you to get that kind of hands-on experience absolutely as well. You know, it's interesting though, to put it in context, and I'll age myself, but
1: to put it in context, I graduated during recession twice. So um it was really hard to get paid work experience too. So that's an interesting point, you you know, doing this podcast, you gave me the chance to kind of reflect a little bit. Um, And I realized I graduated during recession twice. I I undergrad, I graduated in May 2003. It was Mm -hmm. right around the peak of global unemployment from that recession. And then I graduated from graduate school in early 2009. So it was interesting that you bring up the point about volunteerism because that's the way I was able to get a lot of experience. It's kind of non-traditional um, and I also kind of took the tough job market as an opportunity to do something different and try something different. So after undergrad, I actually decided to work abroad. I mean, I graduated without a job. Um, so you do have, you do have a future, even if you don't have a job lined up on graduation <laughs> day. Um, but I lived and worked abroad. I strengthened my second language skills. Um, I volunteered with different local organizations. And when I came back to the States, I feel like I was able, able to really break into public health and the healthcare fields because of those extra skills. A lot of people had the degree. A lot of people had the grades, um, the research papers, whatever it may be. Um, but the language skills and the volunteer experience actually got me through the door. Um, and kind of once I started, I started at, um, in Washington, D.C. at the Pan American Health Organization, which is the regional office of the World Health Organization. But once I got in the door, um, I really stayed in the field. And, and it was really those extra kind of uh, well rounded skills that I do think dis- distinguished me and got me through the door and gave me my start.
0: Yeah, kudos to you for not only going through one, but two recession periods, and also just for <laughs> capitalizing on those opportunities that came up. How did you get to this position as program director of population health management?
1: Absolutely. So I, I worked for a few years in um, public health and in, in programming, really. Um, And it was kind of exciting because I got to work on public health issues that were rather like low on the radar. Um, So I was working on chronic diseases in Latin America, especially Central America, the Andean region, and the Caribbean. And really, policymakers, finance ministers were still really focused on infectious disease, malnutrition, um, that were still major challenges in these countries, but no one was really paying much attention or, or aware of the size, the magnitude, the scale of the challenge of like diabetes hypertension and risk factors in these countries so i got the opportunity to kind of get in on the ground floor um and we worked on building the evidence base and I, i saw firsthand how we needed to gather the data and evidence to make the case. So um, I worked with some visionary folks at the Pan American Health Organization in the different countries. Um, And we really did the first kind of epidemiological studies of chronic disease and risk factors in Central America, some of the Caribbean countries and the Andean region of South America. And with that, we were able to really make the case, garner support for um, putting um, resources um, and policies around these challenges. But I got to the point after a few years where I realized I needed to further my studies. Um, And I wanted to make sure if I was gonna kind of stop work for a few years and focus on studies that I was gonna learn something or, or pursue a degree that I couldn't learn on the job. Mm -hmm. So I went and I pursued a research master's. It was a two-year program and I came up to Boston. Um, If you're going to work in healthcare, I mean, Massachusetts, Boston is is probably the best place in the country to be. Um, And I I really, the reason I chose a research master's was because it was really, um, I saw how important um, the evidence base was to impacting public health systems. And I knew that that was the kind of uh, information and skills that I would need a graduate degree. I couldn't learn on the job. Um there was just a lot of training and technical kind of skill building that I needed to um that I needed to learn. So um I pursued this tier of research master's at the school of public health at Harvard. And I got to focus on global health and health systems. It's pretty cool. I looked at um trans fats and the food supply in Central America. So I looked at a regional approach to health. Um but when I came out of my master's again during recession, um I started working in research. I had a research degree, so I started working in research and I I learned a ton. I've stayed at Harvard on Dr. David Bloom's research team. He has a really interesting background. He's a, both an economist and a demographer. So We really focus on using an economic framework to kind of understand and characterize emerging healthcare um, and public health challenges. So we worked on things that were poorly and maybe poorly understood at the time, we tried to bring more understanding. So everything from like new vaccines, HPV vaccine, pneumococcal, different things like that, dengue, um, to estimating the economic burden of chronic diseases. Um, And we really, again, focus on building evidence, characterizing the problem, understanding, using evidence to really start to bring attention to emerging public health challenges that would require really multidisciplinary, um, large-scale kind of um, interventions. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about five years. I really enjoyed the work. We had some great highlights. But I kind of found over time, my role was kind of hybrid. I did research, but I also managed the research team. I did a lot of the administrative functions, and I just found myself over time being more drawn to kind of the the management of the projects, the management of the people, getting the right people in the door, um, kind of putting structure to ideas. Um, And over time, I just found myself being more drawn to that. So I kind of hit a fork in the road. And I had to either, if I was going to pursue the research career, I had to go for even more schooling and I had to really um, dedicate myself there. Mm-hmm. Or I could have gone, you know, I could go in a different direction. After a lot of reflection, I decided to shift gears and focus more on um, the administration and, and management functions. And I really decided to follow kind of where you always hear of like that, where the t- your talent and there's a need where those things intersect. So I decided to kind of follow that path. And so I started looking for a job and I want to be realistic with your listeners. I mean, it took a year to find the right job. Like I interviewed a lot of places, met a lot of people and just nothing seemed right. Um, But I actually found my job. It's a funny story. I found my job. I was having dinner with a former colleague and we were like catching up about work and uh, chatting about healthcare care and, and public health and data and things like that. And the gentleman sitting at the next table actually leaned over <laughs> and said, are you talking about healthcare? Are either of you looking for a job? Um, And it turns out it was my um, future um, manager at the MGPO. Um, And I really wasn't looking at hospitals. I didn't think, you know, I was in this like global public health world. I was thinking, you know, maybe nonprofits, maybe other universities, maybe research centers. I really wasn't even uh, tuned into the full breadth of what happens at a large academic medical center. So once I started learning about the work that our team does... Was just totally jazzed, and I it was the right fit, so it was like totally um, fate, I guess, (laughs) fate was in my favor. But um, and I came into the department that I'm in now. Um, I was pretty lucky because when I joined the team, it was being built up, so I came in in a project management role and was responsible for two projects. Uh, one was actually a a tech project, was kind of a joke because you've seen my my Zoom and tech skills are not exactly strong, but I was able to apply my project management skill set. And I really got to know the the organization. And then from there, kind of quickly became a senior project manager. And then when the program director role opened, I applied and I've been here ever since.
0: My good. I love that pathway. So like, I, I was like, my biggest takeaway is, uh, make sure you grab a colleague, go yep. grab dinner, <laughs> talk <laughs> about what, no, I'm just kidding. But I think there's two things that I wanted to, uh, yeah. tune in a little bit on. So you were saying, um, how within, in this initial role, you found that you enjoyed like bringing the right people on, you were in sort of like yeah. this management position. And so how did you get to that? Was that already part of your initial job description or was that something that over time you inquired about and or how did it come about? That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, my, it wasn't part of my initial job
1: description. My initial job description was to be a research assistant. I became a research analyst. It was to conduct research. Um, But I think this is, you know, when you think about career development and opportunities, especially during times like a recession or when there's not like, you know, the market's not like exactly booming, um, it's all about finding, you know, uh, being ready and um, making the most of the opportunities you have in front of you. So, you know, we started really um, developing a strategy to bring in a lot of diverse um, grant funding. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have really like a research administrator at the time. It just wasn't the way the lab was set up. And um, we really had amazing researchers on our team. And I just saw the need. So we kind of just it kind of evolved naturally, but I was very lucky to work with a professor and a PI who was open to giving me additional responsibilities to um, letting me like try things and maybe fail along the way, but um really let me step into some of that. And it kind of just built upon itself. As I mentioned, I was there for five years. So it, it really just built kind of over time. Um, but when we were able to get more grant dollars, we were able to hire more people and I really then was able to participate in how to design the team, kind of what skills do we need? How are we going to get, you know, the right people in the door. And so it just built upon itself. But it was definitely one of those things where you see an opportunity, you have a trusting relationship with your, with your manager, your PI, and um, you get to try things out. So, um, and it turns out it was something I was pretty good at and I enjoyed doing. So I just kept doing more
0: of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up that example just because it goes to show that you don't necessarily have to get that dream rule right away, right? Like Mm -hmm. it, it does take having someone who is a, great boss or someone who's a good mentor, like willing to be with you during that process, be able to give you those opportunities. But it's also kind of on you too, to be able to say like, let me go in, let me give, you know, uh, my all in the role that I'm currently in and also kind of help Mm -hmm. be able to help for any upcoming needs that come up. So I really like that about your story and you went on a year long search for a role and say probably like didn't take the first thing that came out because Mm -hmm. something didn't feel right so i really want to understand like how did you know something wasn't the right role for you like what helped you make that decision to say rather than just take an opportunity because it's there i know it's not the right thing for me and i'm going to say no and keep looking yeah
1: i mean i do think that when you have a good job it's always Easier to make that decision. I was in a great organization. I had a lot of support. There mm-hmm. were definitely things that, you know, I was ready to move on. I was ready to grow in different ways. But um, I had a really interesting job and a really uh renowned institution. So it really would have to take something to, you know, make me move. Like it, it, I really there was like a uh definitely an effort, right? To move. And um, so that was part of it. Like something had to feel right enough to make that change. Um, but I think, you know. Really um, self-reflecting, figuring out what do you want to get out of your next role? Like, are there certain skills or do you want to break into a different organization or a different part of your industry or, you know, really understanding yourself and like what you're looking for, but then using the interview experience, right? So really, you've heard this before, but like people say you should interview the organization. It's not just them interviewing you. It's really true. Um, And just use that experience to get to know people get to know who you'll be working with. And I'd like to I like to ask questions like in a year, like if I take this role in a year, if you look back and say I did an excellent job, what will I have what will make you say that what are like the top three things that I will have done that will make you look back and say I did an excellent job, because some job descriptions are like five pages long. How do you figure out what, what the job really is? So you have to find out like what your manager and what your team is going to be prioritizing and what they really need from you. And then you have to ask yourself, is that what I want to be doing for the next like year? Um, and be real with yourself. And then, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of reflection. You have to decide, are you going to get out? Or do you think you're going to get out what you'd like from the job? And then for me, it's always been important who I work with. So um, not just the fit of like, you know do we have complementary skills mm-hmm. but like really are our values in the same spot are we driven to the same goals and are we going to support each other um and i think that's harder to tell in an interview um but i think you know you can kind of start to tell by the questions people ask you you can ask them questions you can ask them like what they're looking for you to do you can ask them what they're proud of um you can ask them you know, what they've liked about um, working in that organization or working with that team and what they find challenging. And you can kind of, if you trust your guy and you're like kind of savvy at listening between the lines, you usually can pick up what kind of environment it's going to be. And then also use your network. You probably know someone that's worked there or know somebody who works there. And and don't be afraid to kind of ask for some peer feedback as well, because um, you really have to make sure that Um, you're going to be set up for success and you're going to be in um, a team that's going to help not just the work be successful, but you as an individual be supported and successful.
0: So true. Depending on who I talk to, population health could mean several different things. So I'm curious to hear from you. What what does population health management Mm -hmm. mean to you?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it is one of those kind of buzzwords or buzz phrases that Gets thrown around a lot in healthcare, especially these days. So it's a great question. You know, to me, it's it's kind of what we all aim for. I think it's what we get into this industry to do. We want to improve our system to produce optimal health outcomes for our patients, but we want to also manage the incredible challenge of rising healthcare costs in the United States. Um, you know, and our team gets the chance to work with physician leaders, clinical leaders, um, in all different departments to really trial things to do this. I mean this is a huge huge undertaking um but it also is an opportunity for innovation. So I really think about it as like how do we transform our system to make people's health better but also make the system better um and and really deploy our resources in the smartest way.
0: Definitely. And that is a large undertaking. I mean we work uh <laughs> we definitely have had our paths cross at Mass General and so on a day to day level what mm-hmm. does implementing that vision look like yeah i mean my day to day there's no two days that are the same and i'm sure
1: anyone working in healthcare um i would be shocked if anyone working in healthcare had like any two days that looked the same um but my day to day and my team it's a lot of when i look at my calendar i realize how many meetings there are and you know thinking about this podcast i got a chance to kind of reflect on that and um What it means to me, though, is that you can't do this kind of work alone. You have to um, plan, strategize, collaborate with others in order to get anything done in order to advance on our goals. So I think anyone that wants to work in population health management has to be prepared for collaboration, for teamwork, to building coalitions, to getting the right people in the room, to getting people's buy-in and support and the right resources to do this really challenging, but potentially rewarding work. Um, So it's, it's all about working with and through others, I think Um, for anyone to kind of come into healthcare, but particularly population health and think you can kind of be an Island and go about it alone. I think you're going to have a really difficult time, but I think if you go in with a mindset that you're going to collaborate and that you need to find the right subject matter experts, you need to find the right Um, people who can move things in your organization um, and understand what their needs are understand what their pain points are and co-create a solution together you will be more successful so a lot of the work is spending time with other people Um, but a lot of the work also is like planning analysis um, really the whole like backstop and backbone of all these ideas so um, my team at least we're we're our expertise and one of our core competencies is project management. And that's a lot of putting structure on ideas. You know, we work with visionary leaders say, we're going to do this brand new thing in healthcare. We think it's going to really impact outcomes where we think it's really going to, you know, drive costs down in the specialty, how you actually translate that from an idea and a vision and get it done is what we spend a lot of our day trying to do.
0: Can you walk us maybe through like a high overview of like what steps you take when someone's like, this is my like big idea, what do I do next?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, scope, scope and more scope. I think Mm -hmm. um, scope and focus kind of is, it's definitely a skill, but it's sort of an art form. Um, And so really honing that ability to be able to structure a challenge and bring order to ideas. So if we wanna get there, what are the steps we need to take? And I think the more you do that and the more you think that way, the easier it becomes. I don't feel as daunted at this stage of my career when I hear one of those big ideas as I did probably at the beginning. Um, But really trying to understand, like, ask a lot of questions, what's in, what's out? Um, What will it look like? So you're saying you have this visionary idea. What does that actually look like to you? If you walked into work tomorrow and your idea was implemented, your idea was live. What would that look like? What would that feel like? Who would be there? Um, Who would be doing what? And you actually have to figure out how to get information to put like more flesh on the bones of an idea. And then you start to scope it out. You have to, it's an iterative process. You can't be afraid to ask questions. You have to go in with that learning mindset. And that's one thing that's great about working in an academic environment because it's a learning environment. and then you figure out how to get different perspectives. You have to pressure test your idea. So, you know, we, we have this great idea. We think it could look like this. Well, let's, we got to see what nursing thinks about it. We got to see what the specialist thinks about it. We got to see what the front desk thinks about it. And you pressure test. And going through that process, it really does take shape. And one thing as, you know, I'm talking from the perspective of more of like a project manager, but um, you really have to move from thinking that you're the doer and can do everything to being more of like a conductor. Um, with these large, complex challenges, you know, healthcare managing healthcare costs in America. I mean, you can't do it alone. So you have to really change what your responsibility is, um, and your concept of your contribution and your role. And you have to think about how do I go from maybe doing everything, which probably when you're in grad school or in your first job, you probably were like the doer and we're doing everything. To how do I kind of conduct a large group towards this visionary goal.
0: Mm. That's yeah, no, I uh especially with everything that I feel like each specialty has going mm-hmm. on, having someone who can help kind of create that pathway to get to mm-hmm. that goal is so important and kind of keep to keep you on track. Like so many people, I think that's one of the things that mm-hmm. I feel is most helpful is having someone who's like, okay, where are we in this process? Yeah. You know, oh, have you thought about this? Like, we need to get a meeting on the books or we need to have a conversation with X person, like definitely having that structure in place has been uh, very helpful. And And so I I guess I'll just say one more thing, like
1: in the work we do together, Yolanda, we also, um, it's important to pilot things, right? Pilot things with a small group before you go big, like, actually get some experience, um, whatever this big idea is, like, see if it's even going to work, start with like a small trusted group. Um, and then you can bring it to everybody else, but really, um, having like kind of a safe place to try
0: things out is also really valuable. You said having, uh, the ability to go in there and not be afraid to ask questions. And so I feel like over time, like asking great questions is a, a skill. And so how do you, Uh, whether that's for yourself or for your team, like really get to know, like, these are the types of questions we should be asking, or how do you build upon that skill set? That's a great question. You know, I did take some
1: coursework when I was at Harvard in like Mm -hmm. management and leadership development. And they introduced us to a book um, and it was called change your questions, change your life. And the whole point of the book was about asking open-ended questions how you can ask questions and questions can actually lead to more possibilities mm-hmm. so that was really intriguing to me and I agree with you it's a skill that needs to be built so what I actually did and it's totally a nerd move but I wrote up down a bunch of like open-ended questions in a word document and I printed out and I taped it to my monitor <laughs> so any anytime I was in a meeting and I was like struggling or I felt like we needed you know we were kind of hitting a uh a dead end, mm-hmm. I would kind of like glance at that list. And it's like, you know, completely nerdy to have a list of questions on your monitor, but I would glance at that list and like, think about, is there a question that could apply that could kind of open up, a pol- uh, open up possibilities for where mm-hmm. we're at. And it could have been like a project kind of meeting, but it also could be, you know, an interpersonal management kind of situation, but open-ended questions. Um, they really do open up possibilities. And I feel like you just got to test them out. Like, Make your little cheat sheet and bring a few open-ended questions to your next tough meeting. Try a few out. And the more you do it, like you said, it's a skill that needs to be developed. The more you do it, the more comfortable it will get. And then the other thing I'll say is everyone probably knows one or more people who are really great meeting facilitators. Mm-hmm. Shadow them. Ask if you can sit in on some meetings and take notes about what they do. Um, what phrases do they do? How do they get people to participate? How do they overcome, um, a dead end in a conversation, learn from other people. And you can do that for, particularly for a project you're not responsible for. So you can really just focus on the moderation and the facilitation.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: um, even when you're in your own, you know, day-to-day work, it, everybody knows somebody who's a really great meeting facilitator,
0: be a sponge, see what you can learn from them. Those are such great tips. I'm writing them down. I'm like, I need to, I never thought about that. It is, I mean, I think it's a great nerd move. If you want to, if we were going to title it nerd move, I'm like, wait, yeah. I want to have a list of questions because I can totally, uh, I've definitely been there where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on anything right now. You know, like, uh, is there something that I feel like I need to be asking, but I can't quite like put into words. So yeah. I I definitely will take that away and start <laughs> implementing it. And you can talked, send you talk sending my list? <laughs> yes, I, I l- would love that. Um, you know, you talked about, We talked about the skill set of asking great questions Mm -hmm. of, you know, being like a really great facilitator, uh, project management. So like when we are thinking about other important skill sets that one would need to build to be successful in the world that you are in now, what comes to mind and and how do you help, uh, how does one build those skills? Yeah,
1: I think, you know, there's different ways to build it. And I think um, what I always think is great about a project management or administrative kind of career is you end up with a toolkit that's really transferable. Mm. You may be more of a generalist. You may not have a content expertise that's going to kind of pigeonhole you, but -hmm. you have a set of skills that are transferable. So the kind of skills that I have found important and that I look for, for example, in candidates, um, I do want a solid project management you know, skill set, the basic stuff, timelines, Gantt charts, meeting management, agenda setting, communication plans. I mean, there's like a basic toolkit you can, you can develop, mm-hmm. but beyond that, what I really think is important is, um, the ability to manage up, down and across getting the best out of everybody, um, really understanding what people can bring to the table and making sure they have the opportunity to contribute that. And then I really look for people that, um, want to take ideas, you know, from concept to execution. So you want to be able to um, create plans that are feasible. You want to be able to um, have the right resources in place. Um, but these are kind of things that you can develop, yes, how to develop. You can develop these skills in school. you could develop these skills in a job. Um, your job doesn't even have to be a healthcare job. Sometimes, you know, you can develop these skills if you're working retail, um, but they are transferable skills. And once you're on the job, you may not be in the role that you ultimately want to be in, but, um, kind of like with my early job experience, you can ask, you can ask for more opportunities. You can ask for, um, an opportunity to contribute to a new project. If you notice an idea, something there is, there's a gap you can ask. Um, for your department to take that on, you can ask to shadow people. Um, and there's so many different ways that you can um, build skills and I I think it's important you know I have worked with people that they build skills by you know doing a project with their church or their community. Um, and that it really they get they bring it back to the workplace then so um, I mean there's a lot of ways to do it. But, um, you know, some people are more interested in formal training. If that's where your comfort is, I would seek out a course or something. But really the applied learning and, and learning under the direction of somebody who has more experience is I've always found the best way to go because you really get, um, you get your hands dirty. You get to just try things. Um, and, you know, you don't know until you try. You might be really good at something. Um, something might come naturally. You might build a new skill um, and you won't get that chance unless you really just um, get into it.
0: Yeah. And speaking of, you know, taking courses and learning from someone who's been there, I've come to learn, you've put together a course for this. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Like what made you put this together and, and who's it for? What does it look like? Sure. So
1: um, as I mentioned, my team is mostly project managers at kind of all different levels um, of their careers. And we're responsible for really partnering with our physician and clinical leaders mm-hmm. to implement these population health programs. So what we kind of found over the years was that the existing offerings kind of didn't quite get at the kinds of things that we needed for people to build these skills and be able to do the work effectively. So especially for earlier career professionals or people kind of joining this work, maybe from other industries, um, you know, there wasn't like a training course we could send them to that I felt that they could come out of and they'd be ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about as our department grew and as we started getting more earlier career kind of project coordinators, project managers, um, what we could do. And I, I, again, no one's an island. So I got my team together and I started asking them, you know, what are the things that you feel like a solid project manager needs to be able to do? What do you wish you would have known at the beginning? What do you wish somebody would have told you that you had to figure out on your own? And we came up collaboratively with a curriculum um, and a program, and it ultimately became this program called Foundations of Project Management. And it's about a six month program. And the goal of the program is to develop sort of what I call the foundational project management toolkit so that people can leave the program and be ready to lead at least small scale projects um, in in the context of our organization. Um, As you know, healthcare and our organization in particular is very relationship driven, it's consensus driven. So again, a lot of things that were out there for project management just weren't quite hitting the mark for what we needed. So we kind of took the existing stuff and we um, tailored it. And the module, there's 11 modules, they span topics and skills like project planning, communications, working with your project sponsor, scope, goal setting, all the traditional project management stuff. But it's really informed by our organization, by by healthcare, and by our experience. So I was able to have my team members um, participate as instructors, as coaches, reviewing homework, um, having one-on-ones, helping people with their projects. But participants actually get to design, implement a project. Um, and you know we had 11 participants in our first, first core cohort. They re- managed a wide range of projects and um, several of them have now reported that they've been able to apply the skills, whether it's in their job or in a new role or in graduate school or in some other setting. So I think we'll probably run it again, but um, it was a re- it was a really cool way to consolidate a lot of the experiences my more senior team members and myself have had and really share that with the next cohort of professionals in our organization
0: you have a history of identifying a need and then pulling together the people that need to to help kind of meet that gap i think that's amazing i do you know of other programs or hospitals that are doing kind of more of this tailored training to their staff within uh within their areas no i'm, I'm not quite sure i didn't yeah i was pretty focused on what our needs were and our
1: yeah. um you know how we could support our leadership and achieve our goals. I I will say that I did kind of a scan of, of the kind of training opportunities in project management that I, that I and my team were aware of. Mm -hmm. And, and they just, they were great. There's some great material out there, but it was heavily focused on maybe a different industry or different kind of lenses, like it project management, construction, project management, and the people component was just not there. Mm -hmm. And, you know I'm sure as you know working in healthcare for as long as you have the the people is really what makes healthcare what it is. It's a human industry. It's driven by um, you know human services and and we're about making human lives better. So we really wanted to augment kind of the the hard technical stuff about how do you make a project plan or a communications plan or a charter with like how do you actually make this stuff go
0: in mm-hmm. a collaborative consensus driven way one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was engaging these different administrative and clinical mm-hmm. leaders, because you're right. It does take that relationship building, that trust to advance these efforts to meet that long-term vision that we have. And so yeah, how do you engage those leaders and what, yeah, what does that look like when it comes to the area of like relationship building?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, taking that learning mindset and the innovation mindset, I think is really helpful because what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, it hasn't been solved before. Like if we had the answer and we had the blueprint, we would just do it. Right. So the types of things that you and I spend our days doing with our, our clinical colleagues and leaders really is like trying to solve challenges that don't have the solution written up yet. So I think going into it with that problem-solving mindset, that learning mindset, um, admitting like that you don't know everything, having enough humility to admit that you don't know everything and asking the right questions. I mean, we're going to go back to asking questions, but, um, really understanding who you need to bring to the table, but understanding their needs or perspectives, their ideas, um, and then kind of making sure that those things are taken into account as you engage in the project. So, um, I think we're lucky because we work in a very mission-driven organization. And as long as the mission is at the center of what we're doing, we can get people engaged. Um, I think the tricky part or the challenging part is um, in an organization like ours, um, there's more ideas than hours in the day. And how do you make sure that what you're asking each person is fair, um, that you're kind of bringing them in the right level of contribution, you're not wasting their time. Um, I think it, you know it's tr- it's not that hard to engage people in a good idea that's going to help our patients. I think the tricky part is kind of shaping their engagement so that it's feasible for them, that they don't get burnt out, and they feel like they're really adding value. Um, so just talking to people, like you know, how much time do you have to dedicate to this project? Would like an hour meeting a week be okay for you? Um, do you prefer that we just touch base over email? Just honestly, just talking to people. <laughs> Um, and then sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, I'm sure sometimes I've done it better than others, but um, I think that the tricky part is kind of how to craft people's engagement um, in the right way, not necessarily getting them on board with the idea, which usually people are.
0: Yes, uh, and I have been a witness to all the work that you do. So I can totally like uh, back you up on that. I mean, having those conversations, building that trust is so important to move things forward. And that's definitely something that I see you and your team doing. And I'd love to hear from you, uh, in the past six years that you've been in your role, has there been any projects or initiatives that has really had a large impact on you that you and your team have worked on?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually pretty amazing to look back at where we started. Um, We were a small team. We had like a handful of projects and we were really, Trying to pilot things with, with folks like you, you know, department leaders, um, and trying to figure out which ideas were going to actually materialize into something and which maybe needed to be hung back on the shelf. So um, seeing where we are now with a robust uh, portfolio, it's actually pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but I think, you know, I'm no longer the project manager, so I have to give my team credit for the programs they run um, operationally day in and day out. But um, I will say kind of where my responsibility lies, one is building the team, nurturing the skills, Mm -hmm. empowering people, backing them up to do that work, Mm -hmm. um, respecting their expertise, respecting their leadership in their respective spaces. So I have, for example, someone on my team, who leads our telehealth efforts, someone else leads our post-acute efforts, someone else leads our um, surgical outcomes efforts. They are the experts. They are the go-tos. And so really making sure they have what they need to do their jobs. But um, I can talk a little about about um, when we built our Medicaid Accountable Care Organization, because mm-hmm. um, I, I was involved in that in the early days, really building that up. And it's pretty uh, incredible to see how far the team has taken it. So um, we talk about population health. We have different kinds of risk-based or value-based contracts with external payers. Mm -hmm. And Medicare has been doing it for a while now. They started with what was called the pioneer ACO, pioneer accountable care organization. Uh, Commercial payers like Blue Cross have been doing it for a while. They, they pioneered the, uh, alternative quality contract. So they've been doing it for a while, but in our state, MassHealth, which is our Medicaid pair, um, was really the last to move to this kind of new model of of population health slash value-based care. So I remember in 2016, being called into an email chain, was basically like, hey, we need to pilot an accountable care organization for MassHealth, go. (laughs) And really figure out what that actually meant. Mm-hmm. what were we like responsible for accountable for what we needed to put in place to make it work so my role was really to put structure again around this idea i didn't actually at the time know much about mass health i mm-hmm. sort of had some broad goals that we were told we needed to achieve um and of course we had our medical leadership um to lead the clinical strategy but my role was to bring structure to those early days so um we talked a lot about bringing the right people to the table. So I formed a coordinating committee We figured out who in the uh, organization was going to be touched by this work or needed to be at the table to design this work. And we put together a coordinating committee. It actually it, now it's like something like 30 or 40 groups of people that, you know, the departments like pediatrics, OBGYN, primary care, but case management, social work, um, patient financial services. So many groups were going to be impacted by or had the opportunity to impact um, this new model. So we really kind of brought everyone to the table in the early days, and we figured out what our strategy was, our clinical and our operational strategy. Um, And I got to work on building the team, bringing some fantastic talent who now have been the ones to launch programming in several areas. And over time, these projects have evolved. They've really gone from pilot to now full scale. Many of them are rolling into regular operations to so sort of really see everything go from like an email. Hey, we need to do this thing. We got to figure it out um, to really see care transforming for our patients. Now our patients, when they come into their primary care visit, they're being asked about their health-related social needs. They're being asked about food and housing and transit and legal services. And if they need help, they actually get referred to a navigator who can help them. Um, you know, somebody like now, when you go into the emergency department, if you have a health related social need, or if you don't have primary care, we have amazing, amazing navigators that will meet you face to face and make sure you get set up with a primary care or a specialist. So this stuff didn't exist, you know, a few years ago to see, to sort of see how the, the the team has really taken it forward. It is just pretty amazing. And um, knowing that, The work isn't done. I'm pretty excited to see where everyone takes uh, in the next phase.
0: That is so amazing. It also makes me realize like, I'm like, wow, Elizabeth knows so many people. Like when I see you and work with you, I'm like, you know, so many people from so many different areas. And it sounds like this role has really allowed you to know like the key players across like the hospital. Like you're not just one uh, department that's kind of just like siloed away. Like you really are integrated in so many, like across the hospital. And I'm sure you're working, you know, because we're part of National Brigham. Like how that translates to system perspective. Like that's yeah. just really amazing when you like step back and think about all the different areas that your um, that your work touches.
1: Yeah, and I think you know the first project that I had with this organization was a, like I said, a health IT project, which mm-hmm. If you've met me for five minutes, you know that technology is not my strength, but I had to bring my project. I didn't have to be an expert in technology, but I had to bring my project manager skills and I got to really learn the organization. We were live in um, a bunch of different departments and we had to work with a bunch of different departments to scale up. So I got to work with administrative leaders and clinical leaders from day one. And I really, it was like the best Learning I could get because we just got in in the grounds. We heard all their pain points. We shadowed them in clinics. We helped um, design and implement this this technology um, platform, and it was a way I got to really learn about the organization and learn how people work and learn how important relationships are. And when I started in the organization, I was very lucky to have medical directors and um, managers who really guided me, Um, and they really kind of took me under their wing and they helped learn about the organization so i think again that like humility knowing that you don't know everything knowing i walked in new i'd never stepped foot into mass general's walls before i started working there um just knowing that i needed the help and accepting the help um really i think helped me learn the organization
0: i love your story i feel like it's so inspiring i mean i'm just thinking like literally to the beginning of this conversation when you were just kind of saying like yeah you went through two recessions Doing the volunteer work and just like to kind of see like where your path has gone and all the work that you've been able to do and who you've been able to work with is pretty amazing. So I have like I've learned so much from this conversation. I'm really excited. I know our listeners will uh, definitely be excited about everything that you've shared. And so I want to, um, you know, I know we're getting close to time, so I want to make sure that I get to our rapid fire closing questions. Absolutely. And these are really meant for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So the first one on the list is, what is your Myers-Briggs personality type? INFJ. INFJ, okay. Apparently it's the rarest type. I didn't know that, I had to look that up. Introvert, intuitive, feeler, and perceiving. Oh no, Uh, judging. Judging, I think, yeah. Yes, yes, great, okay. INFJ. The next one is, what can we find you doing on most days outside of work?
1: Well, it used to be travel, um, but lately it's hanging out with my six-month-old son.
0: Ah, and congratulations again. Thank you. So excited for you. What do you wish you had known before starting your career?
1: I mean, so much, but um, I would say kind of all the possibilities. I think Mm-hmm. There are jobs I never knew existed, and there were parts of the system that I, I didn't realize how much they affect people's lives. I and mean, you mm-hmm. can work in uh, food services, environmental services, HR, accounting, marketing, and you have a real opportunity to impact people's lives. And I just didn't realize how many opportunities there really were um, in
0: healthcare. Yeah, there's a ton out there for sure. And so, in your current place of residence, which is it? and I always just say Boston, but I know you're probably on the outskirts of Boston. Yeah, um, north of Boston. North of Boston. So if there was someone visiting the general Mm -hmm. area, what's something that you'd recommend that they do?
1: Um, Well, we live in a city called Beverly, and we have this beautiful park called Lynch Park. It's a little slice of heaven, you have beach, you have beautiful shady trees, you have playgrounds for the kids and ice cream and things like that. And it's always like a few degrees cooler there than it is anywhere else in the city. So it is a little slice of heaven. I think you spend a whole day there
0: and just um, really enjoy it. And that was Lynch? Lynch Park in Beverly. Lynch Park in Beverly. Okay, I haven't been there yet, but I will go. And uh, is there a book or podcast recommendation that you can share with us? Sure. I think someone may have said this before, one of your guests may have said it,
1: but um, New York Times, the daily podcast, I think, especially as, um, you know, working mom, um, you get the news in like 25 minutes, you feel up to speed what's going on in the world. And I guess, you know, one thing I also like about that podcast is like, every story is a healthcare story. Like it might not be about COVID or things like that, but, you know, climate change, the economy, migrant experience um what's happening in the Supreme Court, what's happening in Congress, what's happening with the budgets, it's all a healthcare story because it's all going to impact people's health and well-being. So it's a great way to really understand, I think, what's going on in the world in a way that's feasible for someone that has competing priorities.
0: Yes, I love the daily. I that's on my list as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. And the very last question is what is the best advice that you've received that you can share with our listeners?
1: there's a lot of advice um, that I've taken and I, I always like learning from others. So it's, it's, it's hard to whittle it down. I gotta be honest, but mm-hmm. ultimately I think the best advice is to be kind to yourself. Um, there are so many high achievers in this field. There's so many challenges. Um, there's tough times, sad times. Um, burnout's real. Um, I think if you, if you didn't know it before, you know it now after the COVID experience, but Be kind to yourself. Um, You know, give yourself some grace. Mm -hmm. Know that you're always learning and growing. It's okay to try something and fail. Um, And just kind of take it easy on yourself. I mean, try your, you want to work hard, you want to try your best. You're probably a high achiever if you're in this field. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, you can learn so much from failure. You can learn so much from tough times. So just, you know, be kind to yourself because you have to care for yourself and your well-being is important too.
0: Mm. just getting to work so closely with you and seeing how you have helped departments move these projects, these initiatives along. I have really just enjoyed working with you and your team and just to hear about the impact and actually see the impact that your team is doing is just really awesome to be a part of. So thank you for being a part of this podcast and sharing a little bit more about yourself and your team.
1: Absolutely. I love what you're doing here. And thank you for bringing this idea to fruition. I think you're helping a lot of folks.